Because if you look at it, electricity and batteries won't work for not just every use case, but every demographic. Not every community are you going to be able to electrify. Not every small business or family-run business is going to be able to electrify their capabilities. So just understand that it's not an either-or. It's always an and. And there's much more power in the and than there's an either-or. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. The solar industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis. Episode number 106, that's 106, coming at you right now, and it's a recap of what went down and what was a very busy week last week. We were able to attend our first ever Grid Next 2022, and of course, that was held right here in good old H-Town, Houston, Texas, and shout out to Melissa Miller and the entire Clean Tech's crew for doing an absolutely phenomenal job. Raina, Hallabaloo's, the entire crew, they were absolutely phenomenal and of course if you heard the follower Friday last week with Mr. Peter Kelly Detweiler he was the moderator and MC of the event just a tremendous gathering of professionals from all over the energy space and you're going to hear from a few of those folks today that we're very excited about hearing from and just again a lot is going on right here in Houston whether it's brown power whether it's clean power or as Mr. Moji Karimi pointed out rather than differentiating it's all energy tech and that's maybe the way the branding needs to be done moving forward but again lots of good stuff that was put out and you're going to hear it all right here a clean text wrap up right here on the green insider but before we get to that let's hear from our ceo and co-founder mr mike niemer telling you about what it is we do here at e-renewable at e-renewable we know going green is important to your business and your esg rating besides offering ppas and vppas through our network of clean energy professionals we can also offer renewable natural gas or let us help you lower your carbon footprint with responsibly sourced gas from a leading global energy provider. Maybe you need green energy credits, whether it's unbundled RECs or RSG certificates. Your path to net zero and decarbonization is one step closer with the renewable. For more assistance, please call us at 1-866-E-RENEW-1. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Mike Niemer. And of course, you can find out more about the company over on our webpage, eRenewable.com, and on the LinkedIn page, eRenewable and the Green Insider Podcast. Give us a follow, and then of course, you can be featured on the Follower Friday series, which of course, this week, we've got another great one planned for you, Ms. Hullabaloo's and Mr. Daryl Brown, putting a bow on all the conferences that we attended last week, Energy Marketing Conference, as well as Clean Techs. And then, of course, next week, we get you back on track and ready for the North American Energy Markets Association Conference, aka NEMA, with our friend, Mr. Tim Berrigan, Steve Shepard, and, of course, Ms. Donna Foy. Can't wait for that, so stay tuned. You will not be disappointed. So let's get right down to today's episode, the Clean Techs Grid Next 2022 Wrap-Up. We've got Miss Sarah Coe, Victor Pascucci III, Moji Karimi, Laura Fernandez, Joseph Kopser, and of course, we're going to wrap things up with one Miss Melissa Miller. It was a who's who in, again, all things clean tech, renewable energy, carbon capture. It was one of the premier events when it came to talking all things clean technology, what's happening now, what's been going on, and what you can expect in the future. So without further ado, let's kick this thing off with Mr. Victor Pascucci, Managing General Partner from Energy Capital Ventures. What is the biggest misconception about ESG investing? I think the biggest misconception around ESG investing is that in order 
to accomplish any ESG goal that you need to electrify, right? Electrification is a piece of the solution. It is not the only solution, okay. right? There's the green electron side, and there's also the greening of the molecules. So if you look at electrification, wind, solar batteries, they have their place. They will have their place. They're just not going to be able to serve all needs and all use cases. And that's why you need things like renewable natural gas, you need things like hydrogen, you need things like low carbon intensity fuels as well to solve all the energy needs we have as a country. Is it because there's so many dueling narratives out there yeah. about how this green, how the grid's going to be green, how right. we're going to decarbonize? How do we change that narrative or add to the narrative that it's okay to have more than one way to decarbonize? I think the when grid? people just kind of divorce themselves of the religion that they have around it yeah. and just do a little more fact-based, pragmatic assessment of what is it going to take to solve our energy needs as a country, as a world, near-term, mid-term, and long-term. Because okay. if you look at it, electricity and batteries won't work for not just every use case, but every demographic. Mm -hmm. Not every community are you going to be able to electrify. Not every small business or family-run business is going to be able to electrify their capabilities. So just understand that it's not an either-or. It's always an and. And there's much more power in the and than there's either-or. So we take a pro-natural gas or pro-green molecule approach, but we're not anti-anything, yeah. right? And so it's like I have good friends that are investors, and all they do is grid modernization. It's great. Yeah. They do their thing. We'll do our thing. Everyone will be good at better for it at the end of the day. But there's no reason to like say, well, this doesn't work and that doesn't work, or you know, it's still a fossil fuel, so we shouldn't do anything with it. Right. We should avoid the fact that there's this trillion dollar infrastructure there that can pump renewable natural gas, hydrogen, low CI fuels as well. How do you guys feel about hydrogen? Love it. Huge advocate. Yeah. Um, huge advocate. That's one of the main reasons why I invested in some Vita factory here okay. in town for what they're doing with their gold hydrogen and what they're doing with a lot of their other synthetic biology solutions. So we're huge fans, huge advocates of it, pushing it at the forefront of innovation, both um, with the entrepreneurs we're investing in, but also with our strategic limited partners. So our investors now are all currently LDCs, right? So the local distribution companies are trying to figure out, okay, what's their play in this? And they do know we start flowing some hydrogen. Yeah. That carbon footprint goes down really quick. Yeah. Those emissions go down really quick, and everyone's happy. And so you get the you get the resiliency, you get the safety, you get the reliability of natural gas, but you're lowering that carbon footprint. Whether it's investing, whether it's technology, obviously with everything going on in the energy transition, I mean, we are, like I was telling somebody earlier, it's like a fire hose of information yeah. right now. What are some of the tools you guys use to try to stay on top of everything, or at least, because I'm sure yeah. you get inundated with, yeah. you know, pitches and what have you. Yeah. You know, I wish there was a great tool out there. I wish there <laughs> was the something. Invest in. Yeah, that, that would be the, be, you know, my wife would want me to invest in that. Period. Point blank. Hard stop. Do it. We need to see more. But I, I wish there was a better way to call through it, but there's really no difference than just digging in, rolling up your sleeves, doing the work, reading the stuff, meeting the people, going to events like this at the ION Center, spending time with the Greentown Labs folks and talking to as many entrepreneurs as you can. Me, my perspective, you don't really learn the stuff and know the stuff until you talk to the people that are out there building companies and doing it. Right? That, that's it, right? Yeah. Yeah, like they, they're you're the investing ones. in the people, right? I mean, right. yes, we know the products and, and, and that old adage that you're not invested in the person, you're not, or excuse me, you're not invested in the product, you're not invested in the company, you're invested in the right. person. Right, And so it's the, I mean, those people know this stuff. And like, if I'm going to invest it, it's all about the people first yeah. and foremost. But if really, if you want to handle everything that's going on in this space, you just got to talk to the people. And I wish that scaled somehow. Yeah. And like all of us, there's only so many Zooms you can do and there's only so many planes and only so many talks you can do, but you got to do as much as you can. 
What are you most looking forward to or what are you guys working on the most for the rest of 2022? We'll spend more time in hydrogen. We're going to spend more time in carbon capture, um, utilization sequestration. We're starting to focus more on the whole ESG accounting side of things. Okay. So we've all got these ESG goals, but like, okay, let's start to look at the accounting of it and the reporting and the validation of it. Because yeah. I think that's a great play for technology and that's a great way for the utility companies and large corporations to step out ahead and be like, okay, here's our facts. Right, here's what we're doing. And so I'd like to see some technology and some innovation around that space as well. Sarah Cove, Halogen's Group, Managing Director there and uh, on the clean techs organization I'm on the board okay. and part of the Houston chapter that's here. So the leadership for the Houston area as well. You said something that, that kind of uh, caught my attention a little bit as far as when you think of innovation, you think of Austin when it comes to Texas. How long have you been in Houston? Uh, about 12 years now. 12 years, okay. So where did that come from? Because I, depending upon who you talk to, and maybe it is a surprise that people think of Houston as innovative just because of... It's always what, just an oil and gas town? Yeah, so I'd say that uh, probably coming out of Texas into Texas, uh, it was something where I heard of Austin. I'd hear you in Boston, uh, Silicon Valley, Austin, okay. and, and maybe a few other places. But I think that a lot of things that happen is a lot of innovations happen inside corporations for a long time. So we're not, we didn't really necessarily have as much of a startup space. We are seeing more with the Texas Medical Center that came in. But in terms of, of startups and smaller companies and having kind of a place where people know where to go and what to do. It didn't happen outside of, of corporations. There was a lot of innovation happening inside of corporations in terms of uh, like new technologies and there were, there were a lot of companies there but this sort of sense of a startup community felt was missing and, and talking with some folks who were here early stage at looking for where do we where do we go? Where do we, as a startup, where do we sit? And I think with the ION here and Greentown Labs and the Canon, there are places to actually convene now where there weren't before. You just had led a panel uh, talking about incubators, talking about startups. Was there anything that these two gentlemen talked about today that you hadn't even thought, you know, not necessarily thought of, but hadn't heard necessarily? The sense of really how do we, uh, what Suman was talking about, you know, really thinking about where they, they're trying to go and the, some of the challenges they've had as a startup. Kind of heard it, but for him that was interesting. He also shared this idea of how, how he goes about getting consumers or customers in line. So how do, how do you become kind of innovative about placing yourself so people can see that? One thing I also got from the conversation was just this sense of there is now spaces, more people talking about innovation, the innovation district, there's that thing. So people are maybe more aware of this. I could see that there is a space of they're just, they're conversations that are beginning to shape, shape, which will allow both people from, let's say, if you are in a, you've worked in a corporation for a while as a chemical engineer, what might it take for you to feel okay to jump into an entrepreneurial role? Some more familiarity with that space. The same with an investor who maybe you've invested in uh, tech startups or SaaS technologies, right. but you haven't yet invested in clean tech. Being more aware of what's out there, more aware of it because the conversation is happening. I think we're in we're the beginning stages of a, a very rich conversation, which, which will allow more people to feel comfortable jumping in and playing a role in this larger ecosystem. Maybe it's a sign of age, but I one of the things that Suman said that really kind of took me back was the fact that being a startup, folks aren't asking about equity when they do these negotiations or even start the conversation. I mean, that 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 to me was, was probably one of the more mind-blowing things that was said today. Absolutely. I mean, it was just like the sense of it's a different uh, mindset around what it means to be in the innovation space. They're interested in being at the forefront of clean technology, but to do that, it requires, oh, it'll be an equity conversation, and how do I feel com comfortable with that? Because there's a lot of upside to the equity uh, when, it, when it pays off, but you just have to think differently about, about that. I think that's why there's, there's this idea of, I, I don't think startup in the same way has had the same 
part of the ecosystem as much historically as if you go to Silicon Valley, people know that. They know they're like going to start in a garage and there's a whole story and mentality around right. it. People, when they come to Houston, have traditionally been hired into a company with a solid salary. That's, I mean, some of the, the best kind of salaries are in oil and gas and, and there's not to say there's a stability in oil and gas because there's upsides downsides but it is interesting that's why I think it's we're beginning to build is a sense of oh what does it actually mean to be an innovation ecosystem what does it mean to be part of a startup what does it mean to go through this all and to have people uh, like Suman who's speaking or Matt who's sharing like what the the different companies are the accelerator they're creating to have that space for people to be like oh this is what it is and this is why it's so cool and I want to be part of it seems like it's been an eon since we've had a live event. How good does it feel to be back and how important is it to get back to this face-to-face -face and meeting people because I think we've all been zoomed out. Yeah, um, so it is great. It feels great. Uh, one of the things I had, had last night is there's been a person I'd met two years ago or so on clean text events but it was on Zoom <laughs> and when I met them and I saw them in person I was like oh my gosh I now understand you so much better like like not so much that it was it was just like how they were it's just different and I was very tired at that point of seeing little faces and boxes on the screen so it, it is really great and I think what we're also going to see and the thing we love about grid next historically is the the way in which different conversations can come together to drive that that change you meet people and that's what's what's happening at Greentown at the ION at the Rice Alliance is bringing people together because things happen, magic happens in those connections from that. For folks that are learning about clean techs for the first time, they want to be a part of it, they want to know more about it, A, just kind of what, what is it? We, Lord knows we've got plenty of folks here in H-Town. How do they become a part of it? Yeah, great. So clean techs is a nonprofit, a merger between two nonprofits. One of them was about 25 years old, based out of Austin. But the clean techs is all about accelerating clean technology and renewable energy across Texas. And so as a nonprofit, we, we bring folks together around that, try to accelerate that, again, connect and accelerate that conversation. If they want to get involved, Clean text, it's clean and then tx.org. And then I'm also, my name is Sarah Cove, uh, Sarah with an H, and you can find me on LinkedIn because we are setting up the chapter. We're going to be convening people, helping to really support this acceleration of clean technology, renewable energy. And the idea between clean text and where we, we see the value is there's a lot happening in Houston. We're a statewide organization, so we're going to be connecting people in Dallas and San Antonio, Austin and Lubbock and other places with what's happening here. So it's, it's a way of connecting into an even larger ecosystem. Sarah with an H. Sarah with an H. Laura C. Fernandez, Director of Supply Chain, Sonova Energy Corporation. The news came down, I guess, what, this week about the tariffs on solar panels. You've already been dealing with these issues. So when you hear that news, I'm guessing you'd already been kind of bracing for this already. Yes, yes. We, we knew there was a possibility of it happening. And then by last weekend, it seemed pretty clear that it probably was. Yeah. Uh, and it's just the tough part is that we are like juggling so many supply chain issues as it is over the last we have been over the last couple of years. So it's just one more thing. And and, you know, we don't want dumping. Like, obviously, you want to be on the right side of this. It's just like the ethical sourcing issue from a year and a half ago that we, we started diving into. You want to be on the right side of history and do the right thing. But the impacts to the business, it's just really tough to when there aren't a lot of options to find something. What was your experience prior to doing this? And, I mean, is this kind of like you just learned on the job aspect? In some ways. I, I, I worked for um, Mitsubishi Caterpillar, which is now Logisnex, okay. uh, and material handling, forklifts. Gotcha. And then Dresser Ran, which is rotating equipment, which is now Siemens. And so then solar was definitely different. You know, I think gotcha. most, most people, gotcha. you come gotcha. in and you're like, you know, most of us have heard of panels but uh, before that. But, that, you know, to learn all the different equipment. How's that been balancing... A new type of gig, whereas you've also got a company that's 
skyrocketing. Skyrocketing. As well. It's been really awesome because we've been able to kind of build this supply chain department, write the policy, write the processes. At one point, I was a department of one, and now we can't hire people fast enough. Like you right. know, like if you know anyone, please send me their resume because it's it's just finding great people that you know can add to our team. So it's uh, and there's just there's always a new project that we are looking at and right. uh, or something that you know we just need a resource for. So it's a really exciting time and and actually the University of Houston has an amazing supply chain program but it's been really neat like being here in Houston when like they said earlier your neighbors are all in oil and gas and that's yeah. awesome but it's uh, when you're kind of the lone you know industry here um, compared to the others but then to have this awesome program coming out of there and giving us some great employees. Do you see the supply chain issues loosening up anytime soon? Or, I mean, with everything going on yeah. you know, worldwide, I mean, I'm guessing... It's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be a puzzle every day. And we have to make strategic plans. We want our dealers to keep installing. That's my point every day is to go in and figure out how I can get them equipment, right? So whether it's buying some safety stock, introducing them to more people, finding brands that maybe we, we wouldn't have looked for, but now we are. Right. Uh, anything to, to keep it rolling. And then getting involved with the industry to make sure our government affairs EVP is going to Washington and speaking on behalf of the industry. And how, just because it's hitting modules right now, well, like I said, the inverter and battery guys, they need to get involved because it's a whole package. It's a family here, so we all need each other. So. Face to face, the tone for sure, and it and it can get sensitive. But we just like that, like we we're talking about that natural conversation that yeah. you can go out, go to a conference, and talk to you know more than just someone at ten o'clock that you've scheduled with. You can go right. and kind of and meet with a bunch of people and go out to lunch, go out to dinner, and and really talk through things and and get to know them on a level so that it and, and maybe you get to know them on a personal level to a certain extent, and then that solidifies the relationship, and then you have a new project come up, well, you've had this relationship growing, and then now you're like, oh, well, there's this new thing, we want to buy some more modules, and we have this plan. Now this relationship's even more solid, and, and then we're flying out to make sure we meet with them more often and make, make new plans. Moji Karimi, co-founder and CEO, Semvita Factory, Inc. How did you come up with the idea to use CO2 as a feedstock? I didn't. That okay. was uh, my co-founder, okay. uh, Tara, who's also my sister, our CTO. But the way it came to be was my background was in oil and gas. Okay. However, I moved from traditional oil and gas to a company that commercialized DNA sequencing in oil and gas, looking at DNA of microbes in the oil and rock and water in the subsurface. Kind of imagine 23andMe for the subsurface. Okay. And along the same time, I started talking more with my sister, and she comes from synthetic biology, biology, biochemistry background, kind of two PhDs, two postdocs. And she was doing tissue engineering, some sort of programming. And as her kind of research passion, she was studying biomimicry and nature-inspired technologies, and especially photosynthesis. So photosynthesis was the link to what I was doing in terms of you know microbes, biology, yeah. what she was doing, studying that. And we asked the question, is it, is it now a good time for humans to learn how to mimic photosynthesis in an industrial way? And photosynthesis is what? CO2, sunlight and water yeah. to oxygen and sugar. So that became kind of the initial idea of Semvita to you know, use CO2 and sunlight and turn that into sugar. 
we did that, and then you know, there's a longer story after that, but that's where the initial idea came from. So you're working with your sister, essentially. Yeah. Was this a conversation over dinner, or how do, how do you and your sister? I mean, well, I'm guessing yeah. obviously you and your sister got, got pretty intense conversations. How how was the, what was the genesis of this? How did you guys start kicking this thing around? Yeah, I mean, people like to tell stories about how they had this aha moment. Uh, <laughs> right. For us, it wasn't. It was a set of you know conversations. Okay. But the theme was, you know, through my startup experience, I was learning about technology commercialization, and she had all these ideas. But in the big system, working for you know um, universities and like hospital systems, you have to assign all your IP to them, right? So we said, hey, you have good ideas. I've learned a little bit about how to commercialize ideas. Why don't we team up and do a startup? And that's how it happened. Who's in charge? You or her? We're both in charge. Okay. I'm in charge of business. She's in charge of science, without which we won't have any business. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, real quick, because uh, is she older or younger? She's older. What's it like working with your sister? My classic answer is that it's better than working with your wife. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But it works for us because for anyone that has started a company, the dynamics of co-founders is so important yeah. because it's an emotional roller coaster. There's yeah. going to be a lot of ups and downs. You need to have someone that you fully trust. I was going to say, trust is exactly. essential, correct? And understand that you know, no matter what the situation is, there is good intentions. Yeah. So the rest just becomes communication. And that you know, we've learned throughout that process to get to this kind of tempo that we have now. And again, because I'm on the business side, she's on the science side, yeah. we have a good flow uh, together. Do biofuels get enough run as far as their importance to greening the grid and, and their role in this energy transition? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, these are all technically all biofuels, right. you know, but with biofuels, there's a bit of a history and branding issue with the kind of first generation also, more recently, the use of sugar or corn as a feedstock for those processes, as opposed to what we're talking about here is a lot more sophisticated processes in terms of actually not just using, you know, kind of a common yeast or E. coli for these reactions, right. but microbes with, you know, much better capabilities through, you know, engineering that we do. Um, and then, you know, that kind of found its own life with like sustainable aviation fuel which is a more recent concept but when you think about renewable natural gas again legacy is all landfills anaerobic digesters but what we are doing is again we're not limited to that you know we actually understand the microbes that are doing the conversion as opposed to being limited to what's happening deep in the landfill or you know, this cow manure sample that someone took and put it inside a anaerobic digester, we really optimize and engineer those methanogens so that they produce a lot more methane, a lot less CO2 in the process. So biofuel is still very much so in the mix. That's why you still have the low carbon fuel standard and a lot of other initiatives, but this is just different ways of getting to the same goal, which is creating alternative fuel sources rather than just being limited to fossil fuels. You're a clean tech board member, guys combined in what, 2019, 2020, right before COVID hit. So you guys didn't get to have that victory lap, so to speak, to really promote clean techs, I'm sure the way you guys wanted to. How nice is it to get back out, get back in person, and then do it here in Houston? 
It's the best thing about it, just to get to meet people in, ter- in person. I was telling someone, like, you're like, you know, one feet taller than what I thought because I've always seen her, like, you know, in the, uh, on Zoom calls. Right. So the type of connections that you make here, you know, like, I would not have run into you to do this yeah. if it was, like, on a Zoom conference, right? And a lot of the same. So I think from here on, there's going to be a huge push for telling the world in Texas about clean techs and making Houston a big part of that as Houston is going through this transformation from oil and gas to energy transition, which is why we had this uh, grid next in Houston. And what you've seen is really phenomenal today is you have oil and gas people and more traditional you know, grid and renewable people in the same room. So that dialogue is happening in real time. Before, these two groups didn't mix as much. So oil and gas people are learning about ERCOT and like how all of that works. You know, grid is learning about CCUS. Sure. And these are all related anyway, so it's a good, good uh, synergy between the two. You're a driving force in oil and gas background, now uh, leading the charge in renewables. How can somebody with your experience and with what you're doing and the innovative work that you're doing at Semvita, how can you kind of bridge that gap with, between the two camps? Yeah, because I'm energy agnostic. I think this is energy tech. Maybe it should not have been called from the beginning like clean tech or oil and gas or whatever. It should all be, okay, there's different ways to make energy. We, are, we need to understand the footprint of each and for what application, what makes sense. And in the state of Texas, we're fortunate that, you know, we just have the natural resources across the board. So it does make a lot of sense to have the synergies built in and break those silos, you know. And, and you see that in the you know, companies too, that traditional oil and gas companies that are getting diversifying on the other end, you know, other companies that are uh, renewables, but now they're kind of learning about CCUS and the, the tax credits and benefits associated with that. So the way I learned is just you just have to not abide by the boxes and just kind of learn, you know, and make connections and uh, be a part of it. And so that's why I'm really glad to be involved with Cleantex because I'm learning a lot throughout that process. And in the meantime, my mission for joining was also to tell the renewable community more about, you know, what's happening in CCUS. And so what you see today is a, is a you know, example of that. Joseph Kopser, author and innovator, Grayline Group. With all these ambitions, and we're talking about trying to add 13 million clean jobs between now and 2030. Right. Is there enough people in the labor force to accomplish all the things that we need to get done? No, no. Simply put, no. So that's why I emphasized during our remarks today here at this conference here at Gridnext in Houston that immigration reform has got to be a part of this. Okay. Immigration reform at all levels, not just the labor necessary to actually help dig and build with their hands what's got to be done, but it's also got to be the technical labor that's going to be able to help architecture much of what we're doing, and then every set of skills in between both of those. That's got to be a component of it. That's number one. And the immigration form can get there fast to help us just by changing policies and waivers and status. Number two, we do have to have reform right now in our schools. We have to figure out how to have more apprenticeship programs, to have more opportunities to be able to be in high school, but then also spend time in actual jobs and working. And then number three, we just have to, and this is the harder one perhaps, is to really fix these rivalries in our politics, rivalries in our rural versus urban. We've got to be able to fix and build bridges 
and take down some of these walls because there are a lot of people who could be working in the areas and sectors, but either don't feel welcome, they don't feel like their skill sets would be valued, they don't think they want to live in that part of the country. Whatever their stereotype, we need to be able to bridge those gaps. So immigration reform immediately, education reform, and then just overall building those bridges in society. How many times do you come across these situations where when even when there are the resources out there, people just don't know about it? I guarantee you, and this will date our podcast of, of when we talked about this, I guarantee you more people know about Will Smith and Chris Rock and they got into an <laughs> argument at the Oscars than they will the opportunities they have for career transition, education, and financing. Yeah. And that has to do twofold. Number one, I believe there's just a lot more initiative that people need to take to, so to solve their own problems. And then number two... I mean, they can find the information, it's out there on the interwebs. But number two is we do have a lot of competing groups out there with the same mission. Some are nonprofits, some are quasi-nonprofit state-owned or organizations that are literally in competition for each other, and that's not helpful. We need to have much clearer one-stop shops. So you say, I'm a high school student. I'm not going to high school, I'm gonna go directly into workforce, or I'm leaving out of college, or I only want two years, or I'm leaving my first job after five years. Whatever it is, there needs to be better one-stop shop to be able to find these opportunities. Because the good news is, they're out there. The problem is it's unevenly distributed and it's hard to find. You know, we had a young man earlier who has a startup and he's talking about guys who are coming into the space and they don't even ask about equity. And then if they're not getting an immediate boost or an immediate bump in salary, conversation's over. Yeah. I mean, don't, you know, and I guess that goes back to your point about having conversations about being a little more realistic or seizing yeah. the opportunity. I don't know. So I think it goes down to a person's level of risk, what they're able to take based on their family, their station or age in life. And what that means is if they are able to live, for instance, in an austere environment, I mean, to literally be away from their family. So hopefully maybe they have no family yet, and they can work in some really remote locations doing some really cool, sometimes dangerous stuff, whether it be in the energy transition or whether it be in whatever aspect of this new energy economy we're talking about. Then I think the second thing has to do just really with what kind of job are they looking for? Do they prefer indoors? Do they prefer outdoors? Do they prefer a desk job? Do they prefer ambiguity? Do they prefer chaos? There are some people who just do well with other things. Yeah. I have plenty of friends that want a nine to five and don't want to ever think about work outside of work. I have other folks more like myself who are constantly consumed and checking all their different uh, communication sources yeah. because they're working on 10 projects at once. Yeah. The good news is the early days of the energy transition, not only here in Texas, but globally, is in so early of a stage that it's the Wild West. You dream it, you dream it, you can be it in this space right now, especially because right now, what we didn't talk too much about in our, in our conversation, you and I right now, is this idea of how free capital is for big uh, investors oh, and big companies. Yeah, I, interest rates are so low, they have no reason to hold on to it. They're not making money on it in the bank, so they're deploying the cash, they're experimenting, they're trying new things, and it just gives people to be in a spot to be able to figure out how they play in that new energy economy. You've been doing this a long time. I mean, have you ever seen anything like what we're experiencing right now? I mean, maybe outside of that, I mean, I had a buddy of mine that's a little bit older than I am, I and mean, I'm 41, but he said this is like, like 1997, the internet boom all over again. It sure is. Well, so whether it be fintech, whether it be the mobility. So think about the early days of, of Uber and Lyft and all the transportation apps. That's an area I know well because it was my first company. But you had entire industries of people who, whether it be taxicab drivers and owners, who thought that Uber and Lyft would never be allowed to exist, or you had everyday citizens who said, I am 
not getting in the car with a perfect stranger in their right. own personal own automobile. Well, that flipped so fast that it's commonplace. In my trip yesterday to Dallas, the car picked me up at my house in Austin, took me all the way down, a complete stranger, and then another complete stranger took me home. But as I like to point out, when I got on the plane to fly to New York, I didn't walk into the cockpit and ask who the hell the pilot was, but it's just us figuring out how to be a part of these waves of transition yeah. as they happen. But when things started to lift in, in late February, I not only went to two conferences in late February, I went eight days of South by Southwest. Then since then, I've been to Portland, Dallas, Houston, and then tomorrow I'm going to SF. It's great to be back. Can't stop, won't stop. Nope. Melissa Miller, co-chair at Cleantechs and senior vice president of development at Eolian Energy. You know what? It was so amazing. It was better than I could have imagined, yes. actually. The thing that's really interesting, there's two things that I would say okay. that are interesting. One of them is this emergence of the Houston chapter has been well-received, right? And so yes. this concept yes. of having a local group that is a leadership team that's advancing our initiatives here in Houston is, is really complimentary to a lot of the work that's going on in Houston. So that's that's like a huge, huge, huge win-win. The other thing that I would say is that ironically, I guess, after Winter Storm Uri, mm -hmm. the fact that people understand what the implications oh, of the grid are now is so much different. So like when we were <laughs> at a conference six years ago called Grid Next, you know, people were like, okay, so so you had like a certain, certain people came. And the grid's not a foreign thing anymore. Yeah, and they were they were more like maybe engineers, which is fantastic. But then the people that are coming now are from every walk, right? Because they have a much more more access to understanding of what the grid means to them. True. So I would say both of those things combined made it um, a really interesting time to meet with people and a, a good mix of different people too. What's next for clean techs after what we did here in Houston? I may have told you, but the Macomb School of Business, there's four students that are have their capstone project, which is to create the business plan for the chapter. And so they'll be presenting to us in the next couple of weeks at the board for us to understand what their proposals are for how the chapter structure will work. And so in May, once we adopt uh, the structure that, you know, once we learn from what the students have done and implement a structure, then we'll actually have like an opportunity to have leadership teams, governance, framework, roles and responsibilities, things like that, so that the people that have attended the event today can then figure out how, if they want to be a part of the chapter, okay. what they can be a part of specifically. Gotcha. So this is all the stuff, stuff that, like you said, this has been years of the making. It's just, hey, COVID affected everybody, right? Well, it's very hard to form a networking group, um, you know, during COVID. Yeah, I mean, exactly. and, and I will That's tell true. you, as the person that was hosting the Clean Energy Beers virtual, yeah, I'm so sorry for anyone who that's their job because it's really hard to be entertaining virtually and everyone has a beer in their hand like on Zoom. Yeah. It doesn't. It's just not the same. It's not the same. It's not the, it's same. Not the same. When you look back at this event, what are you most proud of? Mm, wow. Gosh, several things. 
The workforce development panel was yeah. amazing. What it was came a call was amazing. And then we had Joseph Kopser, who's the chair of our advisory board. And you know, so you had this kind of Austin Houston tension. Yes, you did. Yes, you <laughs> which did. Which was really fun. Yeah. And, and I it was all down. it was all in good fun. But was. also like you know, kind of shows that we have this cast of characters that are yeah, the different cities, right, in yeah. Texas. And so that's why we do this, right? So that we can learn from each other, so that we can like pivot off of each other, you know. Well, we're going to actually have Gridnecks in Dallas in September. So, you know, that would have been like a whole nother, like different. That might have been punches. That would have been a different, that would have been like the middle child. But that could have been you. <laughs> you, you could have. You could have thrown an elbow at somebody. No, I don't know. But um, it was fun. And um, you're right. Peter is phenomenal. Yes. Like, he, every single grid next, he starts it off with, like, this hour and a half, like, informational session about all this information about the industry. And so it's really, like, the go-to place, yeah. like, every year for me. It's great foundation. Um, so that was really good. And then the supply chain was, like, so interesting because that felt like they were really talking about the community that has to come together in order to make these projects work. You know, they're not just like siloed. They're not just like, I'm over here, like providing all the supplies for this project. Like they have to actually work together. And so learning a little bit about how that is done and kind of the relationships and what they said, the cornerstone is relationships. So once again, getting together in person and having events like this, it's really relationship base. So that's how it gets done. Thank you so much for that, Miss Melissa Miller. You can catch all of the Green Insider episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and on our website, eRenewable.com. And if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, and we know that a lot of you do, give us a five-star rating. Why? Because we promise you'll learn more about renewable energy and the energy transition from the podcast that you knew about it before you stop by. Don't forget about the UH series. That's going down on Tuesday and Thursday. Huge responses to episodes one and two with Mr. Lotana Ohazariki and Neha Bot. Fantastic stuff from them. And of course, we've got six more episodes that are going to leave you speechless. I promise you that. Shout out to everybody at U of H and of course my co-host Miss Afri and Nasir for making all of this happen. Wednesday we'll have our recap part two of the energy marketing conferences and then of course a follower Friday with Mr. Daryl Brown and Halabaloo's putting a bow on the grid next as well as the energy marketing conferences so definitely stay tuned for that. Shout out to all my Kansas Jayhawks out there. Yes that's right we've got a little national championship to take care of tonight very excited about that and of course if you don't know me and mr mike Nemer are both jayhawks so we will be pulling for our jayhawks to notch championship number two in the bill self era and of course it's number four overall and of course depending upon who you ask if you're talking about championships in the 20s which you know i don't know if we're keeping track of those or not but i know this it'll be the third championship in my lifetime if we take care of business tonight which I fully expect us to do. Shout out to the entire eRenewable team and Mike, Roger, Al, all the guests, everybody that's helped make all of this possible, the audience. Without you, we couldn't do what we do. This has been the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. We make going green easier.